Good morning, everyone. It's been an interesting week this week. Um, There are some cultures uh, who describe things that are very difficult as interesting. And um, I think I'm using interesting in that sense. Because this week has been a week of challenge and test and trial that has come out very much in the prayer meetings in the morning. I've been particularly burdened for the young families who serve us as a congregation at Apex as they anxiously await whether they will be able to be paid. We've heard of the budget crunch and the difficulties that we're facing financially as a church. It's no good pretending that they're not there and it's no good pretending that somehow with some wave of a magic wand things will somehow solve themselves. And so we've been very burdened in prayer this week for those young families who serve us and asking God that he would relieve them of any of their worry or anxiety and that he would bring a breakthrough in the hearts of the congregation who need to give more and in the minds of those who make decisions who will be able to find God's way and God's wisdom in the midst of all of this. And it's interesting to me that right at that point in our journey together as a congregation, here in-house and online, the Lord has seen fit to arrange that the passage that we look at is a passage that deals with a budgetary crisis in the earliest expression of God's church. There was a financial difficulty within the church, a financial difficulty that emerged in different ways and in in different groups in the first few chapters of the Acts of the Apostles. And here in Acts chapter 4, I'm going to read to you in a way that I believe Luke wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Of course, Luke did not write in chapters and verses. Chapters and verses came later. He wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, very much in a kind of stream of consciousness, a a way of just writing down, having collated and curated all of the necessary information. He wrote down what it was that he believed was the narrative that God was inspiring within him. So I'm going to read it to you as a narrative, and I want you to listen for the particular signs and indicators that give you an understanding of what it is that Luke is trying to highlight, and through Luke, what it is that the Holy Spirit is trying to say. Luke chapter 4 and verse 34. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned 
and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So what we have here is an extraordinary portion of the New Testament. There is no other portion of the New Testament like it. There is no other part of Scripture as a whole that reads like this text. It's a, it's a text that many have found difficult to reconcile with the God of love. What is it that God is up to in striking down Ananias and Sapphira? What is it that he's trying to highlight and what is it that he's trying to say? Well, we'll get on to Ananias and Sapphira and their ultimate fate a little bit later on. But let's make sure that we understand what the what the basic themes are that we're examining here in the text of Scripture. Because what we have here are two different kinds of example. There is a bona fide faith that you see articulated in the unnamed positive examples who sold their homes and brought the money and laid the money at the apostles' feet. And then there are, alongside the bona fide or fide, there are the fake examples, those who are the negative examples of what it is that we are to understand. There is the authentic and the counterfeit. So what is it then that that God is wanting to do through the writing of Luke for us today. There are these two clear examples, the positive and the negative. What is it that we're to hear from the Lord and how should we apply these words, difficult as they are, to our lives? The difference between a Bible-believing Christian and a Christian who simply selects the truths 
that he or she want to adhere to is that Bible-believing Christians look at the whole of Scripture and wrestle with it until they hear what it is that the Lord has to say. Now, if we place what it is that Luke has written here within the broader narrative of his gospel and the whole of the Acts of the Apostles, we can see two very important things. The first is that imitation is enormously important both to Jesus and to Luke, his disciple. Imitation. Now, in other places in Scripture, not least the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it clear that giving is a private concern. Giving is a hidden reality. Jesus says he doesn't want our left hand to know what our right hand is doing when we're giving to the needy. He doesn't want us to go before the congregations of the religious with trumpets sounding, revealing what it is that we're doing for those who are in need. Jesus makes it absolutely clear that that kind of behavior is not the kind of behavior that he wants to support or encourage. So what's going on in chapter 4? There are unnamed positive examples of people who sold property, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then there's a named individual who becomes one of the heroes of the text. Joseph, a Levite, a religious leader from the island of Cyprus, does exactly the same as the others, and it's exactly the same formula. He has a field, some property, he sells it, he gathers up the money from the sale, and he brings it and lays it at the feet of the apostles. Exactly the same equation. Now what it is that's happening here is something that is enormously significant. Because if the Bible that so often makes this, this important, insightful way of understanding our giving, if it says it over and over again that, that, that we're not to put it on display and then in one passage puts it on display, it's for a reason. And the reason is this. We're supposed to imitate the people who are there in this passage. This is what we're supposed to do. You can only imitate that that you see. And the Holy Spirit sees fit to ensure that we have named and unnamed individuals who we can identify with, particularly the named individual who becomes a hero of the whole story, that we can identify with so that we can imitate them. Because imitation is, is part of the foundation of discipleship. You can't be a disciple without imitation. And when we offer ourselves as an invitation to other people, we're, we're not suggesting that we are a perfect example. We're simply suggesting that we're a living example. 
Barnabas got things wrong. Barnabas got led astray by, by silly talk at certain points in his, in his discipleship. Paul tells us about this. Luke indicates as much to us. Barnabas is not a perfect example, but he's a living example. And as a living example, we can identify with him. We can connect with him. And we can say, I think I know what's going on in the heart of that man because the heart of human beings have not changed in 2,000 years. And so here he is as an example for us to imitate. Some people who thought that they would do what Barnabas did were not doing imitation. They were doing simulation. Now what's the difference? Well, last weekend I was skiing in Colorado. And um, I was up on the slopes with, uh, with one of my friends. And um, this particular friend didn't feel confident that day. Skiing's a bit like that. Sometimes you feel confident, sometimes you don't. And as they were skiing, they forgot some of the basic techniques that you need to stay alive. They were starting to lean back a little bit, which means that you just go faster and faster and the trees come quicker and quicker. And so all I said to this particular person was, stick your butt out. And they said, I am. I said, no, you're not. Stick your butt out further. I am. No, you're not. Do it like this. They said, like that? Yeah, like that. If you'll do it like that, you'll stay up and you won't hurt yourself. I was offering myself not as a perfect example, but a living example. An example that someone else could watch and identify with and imitate. That's what the scriptures are doing here. And please God that it will be true here in our congregation also that there are living examples that other people can look to and imitate. But you see, Ananias and Sapphira, they decided to do something else. They saw that approval was given to those that sold property, brought the money and placed it at the apostles' feet. We know that approval was given to them because they're remembered in Scripture and they're identified by name. And if they are identified by name in the Bible and lifted up in the Scripture, we can be absolutely certain that this is part of the collective memory of the early church. And if it's part of the collective memory of the early church, then we can be absolutely certain that these people were heroes of the faith. Now, if you want to be a hero of the faith, 
without having to go through the challenges that make you a hero, then you seek the approval of the positive example without walking the journey that that positive example has walked. You see, Barnabas and the others sacrificially gave all of the proceeds of their sale. They gave it all. And they got approval for it, rightly so. Ananias and Sapphira, they saw the approval that they, they received and thought, I like that. Maybe in their hearts they, they wanted to be promoted in the community. Maybe in their hearts they wanted to be identified as, as leaders. Maybe in their hearts they, they wanted to be given a new name by the apostles. Sadly, the path that they chose meant that they are remembered by name, but not for all of the right reasons. Because it was about simulation rather than genuine imitation. Simulation is fake. Simulation is counterfeit. Simulation is pretending that certain circumstances are true when they're not. Peter said to them, friends, this property was yours. And when you sold it, you could have done whatever you liked with the money. God has put these things at your disposal for your stewardship. It's up to you. But you chose to present something that was not true as if it were. Now if you look at the way in which Jesus disposes himself to this kind of behavior, you see that it's the kind of behavior that he has the dimmest view of. It's the kind of behavior that he has the harshest criticism for. Woe to you Pharisees, you white-washed sepulchers. You're full of dead men's bones. Woe to you, teachers of the law. Jesus was not in the business of offering judgments to people. I've not come to condemn, says Jesus, but to save. But for this kind of behavior, Jesus was so stirred up. For this kind of behavior, Jesus was so concerned that his normal way of communicating was set aside so that people could hear clearly, unequivocally, what it is that he thought. Pretending that something is true that isn't true is something that God will not countenance. Pretense in the faith 
is something that God will always negatively dispose himself towards. He will not embrace it. Does he embrace the individuals who are pretending? Of course. Does he love Ananias and Sapphira? Yes. Are they in heaven today? I think so. Now you might be surprised at me saying that, but just think about it for a moment. These are the earliest days of the, of the Christian church. A time when the broader community of religious Judaism looked upon them as a sect that was kind of interesting, but, but certainly not compelling. But when they came close to it, they found themselves repelled by a sense of fear. Fear came on them all. Not because of Ananias and Sapphira, but because of all of the things that God was doing. So, so if that's the circumstances in which Ananias and Sapphira are operating in the church, you don't get there because you think it's a good option in life. You get there because you're saved like everybody else. I think it's almost inconceivable that Ananias and Sapphira are not Christians. And what God does here is he takes his children home from the playground because they're being naughty. It's time for you to come home. So you'll see them and you can chat to them and you can ask them why. But it gives us a sense, doesn't it, of the gravity of this situation, the soberness of this situation. People who pretend are following a script. Did you hear the script? The script was this. They had property, they sold it, they gathered the money, they brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It was a script. It was a script that was followed by a group of unnamed individuals. It was a script that was followed by a named individual called Barnabas. And it was a script that was followed by Ananias and Sapphira. For most of them, the script articulated their life. For two of them, the script was simply a script that did not articulate the truth. They were simply play-acting. The word for play-actor in the Bible is hypocrite. Hippocrates, if you like. It's, it's the word in Greek that is used over and over in the New Testament as someone who wears a mask like they did in the Greek theater. And this is the person who is the hypocrite who offers a mask to the world and lives a different life behind it. This is the very thing that Jesus is most concerned about. And he doesn't want the seeds of that hypocrisy. He doesn't want the DNA of that particular disposition to be prevalent in the church. He, he doesn't want it there and so he comes and, and nips, the, nips the thing in the bud. He comes and cuts it out right at the very beginning. 
This is something that is enormously important to God. You can have scripts that will hide the intention of your heart. What was the intention in the heart of Ananias and Sapphira? Approval, prominence, self-promotion. Those were the things that were hidden in their heart. If they'd have gone to the apostles and said, we'd really like to be leaders here. I bet you the apostles would have said, oh, okay, well, hang around with us, learn what we do, learn how we live. We're the leaders, and then you'll be able to lead as you imitate our lives. That's what they would have said, because that's what Jesus said. But you see, along with approval, there are two other great temptations. Approval, so often associated in our culture and the culture of Scripture with money. Because money offers value, value offers approval. We think that people are more important if they have money. But then there are two other great temptations in Scripture. There is the temptation of appetite. And then there is the temptation of ambition. Later on in, this, in the text of the Acts of the Apostles, we'll come across a man called Simon whose ambition was such that he wanted to pay for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Peter interacts with him in a very similar way to the way that he does with Ananias here. And all of these things are evident in the church. A script that I've encountered just in the last few years is a script that hides sexual abuse in the home. Sexual abuse by men of their wives. They're initially taught that somehow they are responsible for the purity of their husband struggling with some kind of addiction, usually of a sexual nature. And then little by little, as the script is followed within the home, the women find themselves dominated by the presence of an abusing partner. It's so common that we should identify it. It's so common that women are abused in the home in many different ways, psychologically, physically, sexually. That it's the kind of thing that we should talk about in church because they are the poor for whom the good news is proclaimed. And why is it that it continues? The same reason that sexual abuse continued in the Roman Catholic Church. Because the abusers knew the script. And so they say the right things. 
and they appear to offer the same contrition. But nothing changes. And the priest is sent to another parish to abuse again. And the man is sent home to continue the abuse in his household. This is not something that is far off and distant. This is something that is achingly present in our own congregation. And what is it that God says? God says this. He's on the side of those who want to do right and live out what's in their heart so that other people can imitate. And God sets his face against the simulators, the counterfeit and the fake. Does he love them? Yeah. Will they go to heaven? Surely if they know the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord. Will they suffer consequences? Undoubtedly. You and I live in a day when often what we want to hear are the comfortable things that make us feel good. But some days we have to face the hard things that make us feel uncomfortable. And so the two hard things that may make us feel uncomfortable today from this passage are very simple and direct. And I say this because I have absolute confidence that no one manipulated these texts and our circumstances so that they could synchronize perfectly. This is clearly the hand of God. This is what I think God is saying. You can weigh it, take it away to your house churches and households and decide whether you think it's the word of the Lord. If you have the capacity financially to solve the budgetary difficulties in the church, you should do it. And you should do it immediately. Secondly, if you're living a life of simulation, you should repent today. Set aside the fake narrative of your life and stop pretending and seek an authentic expression of your faith as you imitate the lives of the people around you who know that their words and their actions connect and make sense. And there it is. Now, we could draw out other things 
we could say it was only the wealthy that were called upon to grab that one it was only the wealthy that were asked to step up in this way and so maybe just a supplementary message that we can take away with us this week is this have we audited where we are wealthy regularly we have cards in the pews that ask us to audit our spiritual our relational our intellectual our physical and our financial capital and if you've audited your capital effectively you will know where you have an abundance maybe you have an abundance of intellectual capital maybe you have an abundance of physical capital maybe you have an abundance of relational capital you've got lots of friends and family that that you can draw on and 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 draw other people into for support and help perhaps you are skilled in lots of different ways and you can use those skills to help and support and bless other people perhaps you've got enormous capacity in your your ability to understand information maybe it's spiritual capital that you have and you have real confidence when you pray for the sick and you have real wisdom when faced with circumstances maybe it's financial capital whatever the capital each one of us is wealthy somewhere each one of us has an abundance maybe even a superabundance in one area and perhaps a third thing that god is saying today as we extrapolate from the text something that all of us can take away is that each of us should identify where we're wealthy so that we can use that for the benefit of others if you're able you give we transform the finances of the church you see it really interesting isn't it you'd think that there was a battle on take heed my friends listen carefully if you're pretending living a fake life and set it on one side and live an authentic true expression of who you are and if you have wealth of any kind if you have an abundance of any kind ask god that he might show you where you might use it for the best purposes of his kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, for its clarity, for its challenge. We thank you, Lord, that you're able to show us in your word how we should walk. Lord, may we walk with freedom and integrity. And may you, Lord, by your grace, 
Continue to work in us your good purposes. Lord, we pray for the finances of the church, that you would solve them. You say, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Lord, we trust you and believe in that. And we pray, Lord, that you would set aside the fears, that you would allay the anxiety of those whose callings and salaries depend on the finances of the church. And Lord, we pray that you would cause us to live lives of authenticity. Lives that speak of what it is that you've done within us. Lives that you can use for others to imitate and become like you. And we pray this, Jesus, in your good and your strong name. And God's people say, 